0: Praise God. Um, we, today is the third part in, in a series we started that has an overall um, um, title of the overflow of the Spirit of God. Um, and last week, uh, we looked at what it was, what it meant to be immersed in the Spirit of God. And we used the graphic examples of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that followed the children of Israel and led them through their journey from coming out of Egypt, going through the wilderness into the promised land. And how that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night was representative of the Spirit of God for us as New Testament believers. And today we want to, um, we want to share around the blessings of his presence, the blessings of his presence. And our foundation text is taken from Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 38 to 42. Father, we want to ask that you will breathe upon your word. Make it come alive, Heavenly Father. Uh, Bless the ears of those who listen so that they can become doers. All of us can become doers of your word and grant me utterance, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 38 to 42, is a story we most of us will know. The story of Mary and Martha. And this is what the Bible says. Now it happened as they went that he entered, he being Jesus, a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, 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 You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Amen. If you looked at this particular verses, verses 41 and 42, the Passion Translation would say this. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. The New Living Translation would put those two verses like this. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. The message would put it this way. The Master said, Martha, dear Martha, Martha, You are fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main cause and won't be taken from her. Now, the story is one that quite a number of us know. It's a story about these two sisters, Mary and Martha. They had a brother called Lazarus, and Jesus had a, a particular fondness. He loved the family, and he would... Visit them regularly. And on this certain day, Jesus visited them. And of course, Jesus was a special visitor, a special guest. And so when he went to visit them, Mary was busy, you know, running around the place, preparing for him, serving him, you know, and just making sure that he was okay. And then, Martha, pardon me. And then Mary just sat in front of him and was just gazing. ...at his face and listening to what he had to say. And of course, Martha got irritated. Why is she doing all the serving and Mary's just sitting down there? And she goes to Jesus to report, to report Mary to Jesus. And she says to Jesus, rebuke her. You know, she's sitting there and I'm doing all this work. And Jesus' response is not what we expected. His response, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. One thing is important. And that Mary has discovered. The story of Mary and Martha could easily be an allegory of, 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 of our Christian walk. There would be a Martha-type Christian. And you know them. They are driven by activity. They are always doing something. They, are, they tend to be worried and anxious about issues, about life even about the work they're doing for God. They get worked up quite easily and can get agitated. They are usually distracted from what is the important thing by the work that they're doing. They sometimes can be self-righteous, sometimes, not all the time, and sometimes, not all the time, can be critical. They tend to have a Messiah complex, and the Messiah complex is where you feel that if I don't do it, it won't be done properly. If 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 I don't step in, then it won't go in the right direction. And then, and this is the one that where I was really going, they have the spirit in them, but they don't carry the presence of God with them all the time. They have the spirit in them. They, of course, they're Christians, but they, they, there's a difference between having the spirit and living in the presence, abiding in the presence. And the merry Christian is a totally different kind of Christian. They understand, the merry Christian, that all these things are necessary. Of course it was necessary to serve Jesus. Of course it was necessary to prepare. Of course if nobody did it, then it wouldn't be done. But they understand that there is an order in the way God wants things done. That these things are done out of the overflow of the presence. And so the presence of God is priority. It's not uh, 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 saying that putting Mary forward is not condoning uh, irresponsibility. On the contrary, it is saying that we are responsible, we do what we need to do. But if we don't do it from the presence of God, if we don't do it out of the overflow, we will eventually get weary, tired, and burnt out, as a lot of people are. It will seem like it's too much for us to carry. And the only reason it's too much for us to carry is because we are really carrying it in our own strength. We are not carrying it in the presence of God. And so for the Mary, the Mary Christian... The presence of God is number one priority. The message says it is only one thing that is essential. It's the main cause. The New Living Translation says there is one thing worth being concerned about. The the Passion Translation says the one thing that's most important. The person who has that attitude has the attitude that Moses had. They understand that. I can't overcome, I can't survive, I can't win, I can't be more than a conqueror, except I am doing it from a place where I am abiding in the presence of God. The the presence of God becomes priority. So Moses says this in Exodus 33 verse 15. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Of course Moses wanted to go into the promised land. Of course, Moses had been told by God that he had prepared a land flowing with milk and honey. But Moses understood that this journey is going to be torturous, is going to be unbearable, is going to be a toil if the presence of God does not go with us. It is only because he goes in the presence of God that the journey can be one in which he can find fulfillment even on the journey to the destination and we understand that the presence of God today is really the presence of the Holy Spirit and so when we talk about the presence of God we are talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit we understand that the moment you give your life to Christ the Spirit of God takes residence in your heart the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit But then we must understand that there's a difference between the Spirit in our heart and between us with the Spirit in our heart living in the presence of God, abiding in the presence of God, surrounded by the presence of God, immersed in the presence of God, flowing with the presence of God, going with the presence of God. And that's how God intends us to live, not just with His Spirit in us, But with us immersed in the Spirit, with us abiding in the presence of God. And today I wanted to bring to you seven practical blessings of His presence. Seven things that you can expect when you abide in the presence, you stay in the presence, you live in the presence, and you live out of the presence. Number one is his rest. In Exodus 33 verse 14, God said to them, to Moses, and he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The psalmist says in the the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It is when he is led by still waters that a restoration of the soul takes place. And for a lot of Christians, we might be involved in religious activity, and a lot of us are, so we're praying, we're fasting, we're, we're, we're reading, we're doing all the things we should do. But really the question is, does our soul have rest? Or are we engaging in these activities from a place of agitation? One of the blessings you can get from God is to find soul rest, where your soul has rest. Your soul is anchored in God and has rest. And so it doesn't matter what is happening around. Somehow you have found still waters in God that has led to a restoration of your soul and your soul has found rest. The real you has found rest. And so no matter what is going on around you, you have entered a place of rest. It's a blessed place to be where there's anxiety around you, there's agitation around you, there are prayers that haven't been answered. That would cause anxiety to some other person. But you have entered a place of trust in God where you have entered a place of rest. The Bible has really come alive. You know that God has your back. You know that all things work together for good. You know that he can't put you to shame. You know that if your eyes are stayed on him, that your heart will be at peace. Those words have come to life and you have entered a place of rest. It is, that place of rest can only come in the presence of God. Can someone say amen? amen? And we must understand that the presence of religious activity is not an indication of rest. You can be active in good things but not have rest of your soul. Number two, and it follows on from number one. The only place you can get peace is in the presence of God. It's interesting that at the end of his discourse about the Holy Spirit and the many things the Holy Spirit have co- has come to do for us in John the 14th chapter, when, when, when he gets to verse 27, this is what Jesus says. This is his gift to his children. He says, John 14 verse 27, the Passion Translation, he says, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. Jesus has left that gift of peace with us. Whether we have accepted the gift is another thing. But one of the byproducts of being in the presence of God is the peace of God. He says, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your heart. Instead, be courageous. He says, I've given this gift of peace to you. It is part of what comes with the Spirit of God. It is definitely what comes from the presence of God. This peace that passes all understanding. The human mind can understand it. Of course the human mind can understand it. It is supernatural. There's enough things around you to cause you to be agitated. People are wondering, why aren't you agitated about this or about that? Why aren't you troubled about this? Why aren't you troubled about that? It is not natural. A natural being would be troubled about this. A natural person would be anxious about this. It is natural to be so. But then when, you, when you're in the presence of God, you are not living a natural life. You're living a supernatural life. And the peace of God can garrison your heart, as one translation says. It acts as, in fact, one translation says, the peace of God acts as an umpire in your heart. So what does the umpire do? The umpire makes calls. So something happens and the umpire of peace makes a call for peace in your heart when you're in the presence of God. And it's the privilege of a child of God. That's part of what we get. How are we different from the world if what agitates the world is agitating us? How are we different from the world if we are anxious and worried by what the world is anxious and worried about? What is the blessing of salvation if I can't have the peace of God that passes all understanding? And why do I have the peace of God that passes all understanding? Because I know nothing has caught my God unawares. I know God is in absolute control. There is only one control center and it is in heaven. And he happens to be my father Number three, the third blessing of his presence is you hear his voice. And it's a privilege to hear God's voice. It's a privilege to be directed by God. It's a privilege that the creator of the ends of the earth is speaking to you and I, the one who sees the end from the beginning is speaking to you and I. It's a privilege. And the Bible paints a graphic picture of this privilege in Exodus, the 33rd chapter, from verses 7 to 11. And I referenced this last week, the story of, of Moses going out to where the tent of the meeting was to speak to God. And as he went out to speak to God, the whole nation of Israel would gather at their, at their doors to observe him. And you know, it's funny because that made me think that it's, it's a tragedy when the Spirit of God is moving and a person is an observer. And so my prayer for you is that you will not be an observer in a move of God. You will, be, you will be participating in the move of God. Because all the children of Israel did was observe. And they stood at their doors and watched this drama unfolding. And drama it was. Because when Moses got to the door of the tabernacle, a cloud suddenly appeared. And then from inside the cloud, they heard the voice of God speaking. And the Bible testifies concerning Moses that God would speak to him face to face as with a friend. Face to face is Bible euphemism for intimately. That God would speak to him intimately. God would share secrets. God would reveal mysteries to him as with a friend. When you learn to abide in the presence of God, that's your testimony. That in the presence of God, revelation comes, mysteries are explained to you, secrets are explained to you. The future is shown to you in the presence of God. You become a friend of God. You become a partner with God in working out His plans and purposes in your life, in your life, in the life of those, your loved ones, and in the life of the community in which he, pla- which he plants you. And all that just because you are in the presence of God. There is clarity of hearing in the presence of God. It is when you are outside the presence that you're struggling to hear God. You're second-guessing God. You're wondering what He's saying. But in the presence of God, there's clarity of hearing. When you read the Bible in the presence of God, the Bible speaks to you. Because you're reading it under that canopy. You're reading it literally under the cloud. Can someone say amen? amen. Number four, it's, it, it stirs up creativity. I love a scripture in 2 Peter 1, verse 4, that talks about us being partakers of the divine nature. Now, when we hear that scripture, we think, partakers of the divine nature in terms of the character of God. And that is correct. But then surely, if, if the divine nature was creative, then it must mean partakers of the divine nature in terms of creativity as well. And there is no better greenhouse for creativity than the presence of God. It is when you're in the presence of God that the creativity that he puts in you is awakened or reawakened. Exodus 31, verses 1 to 5. The Bible says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels, for setting in carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. Bezaliel was called with another with another man called Aholiab. They were leaders of this group of craftsmen. These craftsmen were the ones who designed the temple. Amazing work they did. Artistic creations. They worked the wood in a way that it was almost like they could speak to the wood to form all kinds of things. They used diamonds. They had wisdom that was beyond their natural understanding. They had knowledge that couldn't have come from books alone or from even learning from others. Their works were such that the Bible uses a term, the the older versions of the Bible uses a term that I love because it's graphic in what it portrays. It was a curious work. A curious work is something you see, something you hear, that makes you acknowledge God, even though God is not mentioned, but surely to do this kind of work, it has to have come from the Creator Himself. And do you know that every one of us is designed to show God forth in this way? In whatever we are doing, every one of us is designed, because we are partakers of the divine nature, we are designed to express the divine nature. But then sin put a cap on the well of creativity but when we give our lives to God the cap on the well of creativity is taking over when we sit in the presence of God then God stares up that well of creativity and what comes out is what we look at and we have to glorify God this can only be God So you you see someone write some things and you look at it and you marvel. You you hear someone sing. You hear someone play an instrument. You see someone serve in hospitality. You hear someone speak. You hear some wisdom as the person discerns some complex mystery. And you just have to say, this is God. It is time for the body of Christ to step into the level of creativity that brought the Industrial Revolution. Don't forget, the basis of the Industrial Revolution was, on, was the Christian faith that drove it. So it's time for us to stop saying in the four walls of a church and to take our creativity out there so that when people see this level of creativity, they have to ask this teacher that they bring all the troubled students with, all the, the students who are who are excluded and who are challenging, but they come to this teacher and this teacher somehow has a way of turning these students around and making people who society has consigned to the the class of failures, successes. What is wrong with this teacher? The teacher then gets a chance to be able to say, well, the truth is that it is the spirit of God. I dwell in the presence of God and the ideas come from God himself. Amen? Amen. It stirs up creativity, the presence of God. We are looking for witty inventions. Isn't it interesting that when you look at the number of Christians who were behind some of the inventions that have changed the world, you marvel. That's because the presence of God releases creativity. Number five, it transforms you. If there is one thing that changes a person, it is the presence of God. That's why if there is no change, or very little change, it's a clear indication that that person is not abiding in the presence. It is impossible to abide, to live in the presence of God and not change. The graphic example in the physical sense was Moses. Exodus 34, verse 29. Moses goes up the mountain and is in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. Unknown to him, he has changed. And that's really how it works with God. You see, the people who will tell whether you have changed are the people who know you and who are watching you. The husband knows whether the wife has changed. The wife knows whether the husband has changed. And the, the, the people can tell whether what you, have been, what you have been experiencing is religious activity, some form of godliness, the Bible says, that denies the power of change. And yes, it has all the rules and the rights. It seems like the real thing. But then how we know whether it's the real thing or not is the change, the transformation. And so Moses Moses comes down and he has transformed literally, physically. His face is glowing so much so that the people can't look at his face. He doesn't know anything has happened. It's the reaction of the people that tells him that something has happened to him and he has to put a veil over his face because without the veil the people can't look at him. Something happened in the presence of God. We can't be in the presence of God without the world knowing that something has happened. And it's progressive and it's continuous. Something keeps happening because we are daily moving towards maturity in Christ and towards the image of God. Image of God. That's why the Bible puts it like this in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 22 to 23. This is the Passion Translation. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. The fruit is divine love and it has varied expressions. So if you are, if you have the Spirit, if you are immersed in the Spirit, we should see the signs. That's what the Bible is saying. And the Bible is in effect saying, I don't really need to know what church you go to. You know, some people wear their church on their sleeves. What church you go to? Oh, Jesus' house. Like the fact that I say Jesus' house means I'm this kind of person. Oh, what church do you go to? Oh, I go to Holy Trinity Brompton or whatever church it is. But that's not the issue. Let us see the fruit. What's the fruit of going to Jesus' house? And if I see the fruit, trust me, I will know that you are a Christian. Show me the fruit. If I see, a, if I've never seen a banana tree, and, and this, this is a true story, we, uh, we took the, the whole family, siblings, spouses, most of the family, 80, 80% of us, and we wanted to show them my maternal village in Africa my mother's village, and my, my uncle, and, and it would be their great-uncle, grand-uncle, whatever it's called. Yeah. So we went to the village. And my maternal father has a lovely home, really pristine home, lovely home. But he's died many, 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 many years ago. He died before I was born. And when we got there, there were a lot of plants, a lot of trees that had fruit that our children had seen in the shops, but they had never seen the tree. Yeah? You can buy a lot in Tesco and never know where it comes You've never seen where it comes from. And so for, for them, it was a pleasant surprise to see the tree from which the fruits came. Now, if they saw a banana tree, they knew it was a banana tree, not because they had ever seen a banana tree before. Let's use that as an example. But how did they know it was a banana tree? Because it had a banana fruit on it. So you don't need a big sign to say I'm a Christian. Your car doesn't have to have many, many, many fishes to say you're a Christian. You don't need to carry the biggest Bible. And you certainly don't need to speak in Christianese to confuse everybody. That's not a Christian. When we see the fruit, we will know. Does the Bible not say by their fruit you will know them? And so if you are immersed in the Spirit, abiding in the presence, there has to be fruit that shows it. What is the fruit that shows it? Number one, joy that overflows. So if you don't have joy that overflows, then you are not in the presence. Because in the presence of God, the Bible says, there is fullness of joy. And joy, my sister, is not happiness. Happiness is he proposed to me. Joy is I haven't found him yet, but I'm smiling and my laughter is contagious. Happiness is I am healthy. Joy is I'm dealing with a challenge in my health, but nobody could, nobody could ever tell because I am still the life wire of the party. Joy is that it hasn't been answered yet, but I am calm and relaxed because I have a word from God. Joy is I finish encouraging you and then you leave and someone tells you what I'm going through and you are completely ashamed of yourself because you can't imagine that despite what I'm going through I was encouraging you just because you missed your mortgage for one month. And so When I'm dealing with sadness or sorrow or depression, guess what I have to do? The chains of sadness and sorrow that want to keep me out of God's presence, I drag it into God's presence because in the presence of God is fullness of joy. Depression, if you follow me into God's presence, you have to go because in God's presence there's no room for depression, there's joy. It says it produces other fruit, peace that subdues. And I love that because you know there are many things that are happeni- happening in our lives. You can't persuade them. They, a, lot of, a lot of agitation, troubles, challenges. Have you tried to persuade a challenge to move? You can't persuade it. What does the Bible say? That in the presence of God, there's a peace that subdues. It breaks the backbone of the challenge. It says to that circumstance, you must bow in the name of Jesus. It says patience that endures. You know, patience by its own. You don't need to add endurance to it. But how many know that there are some things you deal with that is not not be patient. It is have enduring patience. That means you've gone beyond normal patience. How can that happen naturally? There's a limit to how much we can take. That's why it must happen in the presence of God. Kindness in action. That we are are just kind. We don't even know that we are being kind. It's just coming out of the overflow. We are thoughtful. Always thinking of others. But it comes out of the overflow. You know, I was at a function a few days ago, and, and Doc came to me after, and he said to me, this thing is just a gift. But Doc, I thought about it. It's actually not a gift. It's a grace which everybody should receive. And that, why, why, why did he say that? Because, you know, everybody was celebrating the husband. And I just sat there and thought, this, we've celebrated this man enough. But the truth, because I know their story, this woman, even though it's his, his occasion, this, this man won't be here without this woman. And so after they had all celebrated the husband, everybody had forgotten the woman. I was just watching. They say he's great, he's fantastic, and it's true. He's a great guy. He's wonderful. He's this, he's that. I'm thinking, really? Without this woman, you would not be great, wonderful, fantastic. And so after a while, I put up my hand. I said, I want to speak. So, of course, they thought I was going to speak about the husband. And I did for one sentence. Yeah, yeah, it was literally one sentence, one or two sentences. I was done with him. With everything that everybody has said, I should, there was nothing, what am I going to add? And I started talking about the woman. And everybody burst into applause. So Doc after said to me, that thing is a gift. He said, n- n- nobody there thought about the woman. Not that, they, not that the people have bad hearts. Everybody just, you know, it was the guy's thing. He says, so how do you think about it? So Doc said it's a gift. I said, no, it's not a gift. It's a grace you can receive from God. It's a grace just to be thoughtful. And you do it, it just happens. You don't even think about it. It is not you. It is the Spirit of God that is driving you. And that comes from when you sit in the presence of God. You see, if you sit in the presence of God, after a while, God exchanges your heart of stone with his own heart. You start to feel like he feels. You start to notice things like he notices. You start to see the things that others don't see. Why? Because suddenly you're seen from God's perspective. A life full of virtue. How do I live a life full of virtue? I can't live it naturally. It's not possible. It can only come from being empowered by being in the spirit. Faith that prevails. How do I have audacious faith? That prevails, that actually prevails. I can only have that level of faith that prevails because I am in the Spirit. And it's almost like there's a transplant that is done. God puts something in me that suddenly makes me have that faith. You know, I remember reading the Bible and I was saying to God that I read how Abraham took Isaac to go and kill him. You know, that's the way I read the Bible. So I read it, and, and, and Abraham got up early in the morning to go and kill his son. God told him, go and kill him, sacrifice him. He got up early in the morning. So I said, God, this is going to be a challenge. I know it's a metaphor, yeah? But it is still a true story that you told this man to kill his only son. Well, he had Ishmael, but Ishmael had kind of gone AWOL. But this son that you have given him, the son of the inheritance, you told him to kill him. His whole life was in that son. And he wakes up and goes to kill him. So I remember saying to God, 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 where will I ever get this kind of faith? And God said to me, you don't need it. I haven't asked you to kill JJ or Sochi, so you don't need it. Yeah, God said you don't need it. Because if I ask you to kill them, I will give you the faith. But you don't need it. So it made me realize that while faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, but as the Bible also says, faith is a spirit. And so when God wants you to do something that you can't do naturally, the fact that you're in his presence allows him to impute, to put into you the spirit of faith that allows you to do it. So if you sit enough in God's presence... You sit there, just sit there like Mary, looking at Jesus' face. After a while, some combustion will take place, and you will just get up. And what you couldn't do before you sat down, you can suddenly do because something has happened by being in his presence. It's audacious faith, gentleness of heart, strength of spirit. All those things come from being in the present. Number six, as we move on. It helps you overcome sin. It is impossible to overcome sin, especially besetting sin. The sin that clings to you. The sin that has found a birth in your life. The sin that you just can't seem to get out of. The sin that led Paul in total frustration to make that cry that typifies a life that is completely trapped by sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from, the, from this body of death. It's the cry of a man who has tried many times and failed many times. The cry of someone who thinks they have got away from it, but then one day they slip up and they fall back. The cry of someone who knows the struggle to break out from the grip of a sin that just simply won't go away. And yet, overcome it we must. For to live in that kind of life is to live a life that will cause the presence to lift. So how do we overcome it? It is only in that presence of God. The submission to that presence, an immersion in that, to that presence, a yieldedness to that presence. You see, the world says, To overcome it, you have to do. So your effort, your will, the strength of your character. The kingdom says you can't do it on your own. So it is not what you do, it is what you are in, what you rest in, what you yield to, what you submit to. So I overcome it by immersing myself in the presence. The deeper I am in the presence, the more difficult it is for these demons to follow me. So my deliverance is from how deep I am in the presence. They say you've never seen a fly on a hot stove. You know, it doesn't matter how daft you think flies are. Daft, you might think they are. Have you ever seen a fly? Don't you think this daft fly, why can't it land on this hot stove? It doesn't. Because it knows that this hot stove is going to burn it. So there's a place in God we get to that they cannot follow us into that place. So our aim is to get there deeper and deeper and deeper. Follow me if you dare. Can someone say amen? Amen. So the Bible puts it like this. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2, 5 and 6 and 13. The, The Passion Translation. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. It's the law of the spirit of Christ that liberates us. It's not our own effort. He goes on to say in verse 5 and 6, Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves, but those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. We are designed to live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. The mindset is only controlled by the Spirit when we are abiding in the presence. We live in the presence. We carry the presence around. We sleep in the presence. We can't bear a day without the presence. And he goes on to say in verse 13, For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, what puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh? The life of the Spirit. It's not our effort. That's just what I'm trying to get to you. It is the life of the Spirit. How do I ensure that the lifeblood of the Spirit is flowing through me? By being in the presence of God. By making sure that's where I live. then we taste his abundant life. Can someone say amen? Number seven, the last one. It creates an atmosphere for healing. If I'm believing God for healing, I could do nothing better than to make sure that I live, sleep, eat, abide, stay in, rest in the presence of God. That I am just there in the presence of God. Because the presence of God, the Spirit of God, that is the presence of God for the New Testament believer, has come to represent Jesus. Jesus himself said, it is expedient that I go. It's in your interest. It's advantageous to you that I go. For if I don't go, then we can't send the comforter. We can't send the Spirit of God. And we, you and I know by, by, the, by, by, by the Bible account... That Jesus has departed. He didn't depart and leave a vacuum. He said himself, I will not leave you desolate. I will not leave you like orphans. I will send another. He fulfilled his word in sending another. The other that he sent comes with the fullness of him. The fullness of the father. He's not less than the father, less than the son. He is the same as them. Doing the same thing that he did. And the Bible tells us that Jesus went about doing good and healing all. And so we believe God for healing for all. That we just stay in his presence. And allow him to do what he does. Can someone say amen? Amen. And of course, as I end, by the time you hear all these blessings, and there are a lot more we could go into, One thing dawns on you. I must treasure the presence of God. I must, like Mary, understand that it's priority. It's essential. I can't afford anything that will cause the presence to lift. I must cultivate the presence of God. Pursue the presence of God, court the presence of God, work hard at fostering the presence of God. And I must do that, of course, by the spiritual disciplines of prayer, study of the Word, worship, fasting. But all that is undergirded by a passionate hunger and a passionate thirst, a near desperation for the presence of God. I can't bear another, another day, a minute, a second, without the presence of God. What kind of life would it be without the presence of God? How would the children of Israel have survived if they didn't have the cloud and the fire? And of course, the enemy knows this. And so the enemy works hard to get us into circumstances that will cause the presence to lift. Now, of course, the psalmist says in Psalms 51 verse 11, this was a result of his sin, and he understood the consequences. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, of course, he didn't have Jesus Christ. So, he was talking about the presence that he had. Now, we have the Spirit in us. So, he's not going to take the Spirit from us. But then, the presence is not a right. It's a privilege. And it's one that we cherish. And we can live a life that causes the presence to go. Because it is impossible. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. A sinful life will cause a separation with God. He can't dwell in sin. The presence is the Holy Spirit is not going to abide in unholiness. And so we know that we've got to run away from all these things. Ephesians, the fourth chapter from verses 17 to 32, it lists a whole whole litany of things that we must avoid. And it's not an exhaustive list. Anything that is going to cause grief to the Spirit of God and cause His presence to go, we must avoid it. And we must be aware we must be watchful. We must be sensitive to the wiles of Satan because Satan knows that if he can introduce this, just look at the litany of, of, of things that is listed. Anger, immorality, sland, sland, slandering, gossip, bitterness, vindictiveness. You just name it. Anything that is ungodly that exists is going to cause the Spirit of God in terms of the presence to lift from us. You know, and I was telling them a personal story uh, in the first service. And it's, it's just, just the way God works, that you'll go through something He's going to get, get you to use to preach. So I was in a conversation yesterday that really upset me. You know, upset me is an understatement. It really grieved and wounded my personal spirit. And at some point in the conversation, I was trying to explain my position, but I knew this thing was going to get out of hand. And, and so... I just thought you know what if I don't stop this thing it's going to degenerate and I could feel and I was thinking things that I genuinely have not thought since I became a Christian in terms of anger you know how you sometimes think something is dead then you're placed in a circumstance that tells you that it fainted or it was in a coma but it is not dead Has anybody ever been
2: there?
0: Anybody been there? Okay. That's where I was. I, I, I used to have a bad temper, but I thought I've killed it. You know, generally killed it. The thoughts I was thinking, it was like I was not a Christian. I thought, what is going on here? And then I understood what was happening. Of course, the enemy had set me up. I was going to talk about the presence of God. The number one thing that is listed in that litany of, of terrible things is anger. And here was I. I guess the enemy had seen that you're going to be in this situation. You're going to be tested. So the enemy had summoned the spirits of anger of my ancestors. Because I have an ancestry of angry angry people, all of us. You, well, I take myself and I take my brother out and I take all our children out. But all, and hopefully my father, if he will join us. But... You know, from all of us, an- angry men, angry men. That's how we were. They told me that one of my ancestors, he was called Mam. They said when he went to war, he would kill and bring the heads. This is a true story. In those days, they were cannibals. He would bring the heads back and drink palm wine from the heads. That's the kind of anger that was in my family. So I've dealt with it. But they went and called Obumam back to come and be circling around me. <laughs> trying to look for a way in, in 21st century London, a pa- I'm, and I'm going to preach tomorrow on the presence of God. I thought, nah. And then, you know, I understood what grace is. You know, grace is where you get capacity for what you know you can not do. Because I could feel from my toes the anger beginning to rise, and I knew what would happen next. But somehow, grace just came in. And I, I literally walked away from that situation. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't think, no, I mean, if you clap for me, it makes it seem like it was my effort. But it wasn't my effort. Trust me. Trust me. My flesh was, was, was on fire. But the Spirit of God, that presence of God, at least the little that I am in that presence, it, it came upon me. And somehow, that thing was diffused by the Spirit of God. I don't think I scored 100%. Because I had thoughts in my heart that I should not have had. Thoughts that I had forgotten from before I, way before I became a Christian. So I knew I didn't score 100%. But at least to encourage myself that I opened up to grace, I, I think I, I scored 65, maybe 70. In fact, now I'm thinking about it, 75%. But all that can only happen in the presence of God. Because you are in there. So the enemy wants you out of there at all costs. And that's why Paul ends with this injunction to the Ephesians. He says in verse 30, the Passion Translation, The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Christ Jesus until you experience your full salvation. Someone say amen. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. May we never grieve Him. And may we never take for granted His holy influence in our lives. You know, there are many priceless commodities in the world. Many. You know, you have diamonds that cost a fortune, rubies that cost a fortune. You know, you have things that are, that are so valuable. But please, let's understand that above all those things, the most valuable thing that you and I have is the presence of God. Let's treat it as such. Let's nurture it. Let's cherish it. Let's spend time creating an environment so that the Spirit of God comes in its fullness into our lives. Let's prioritize it. Let's arrange everything around it. Like the songwriter says, let His presence be heaven to us. Can someone say amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the key ingredient is desire, is hunger, is thirst, is desperation. Just, just knowing that I can't live without this. Moses said, We're go, go where? Where are we going? What are we doing? What is life without your presence? A promotion without your presence? It's not worth it. A gift without your presence is not worth it. A relationship without your presence is not worth it. Another day without your presence is not worth it. A minute without your presence is not worth it. Your
2: presence is heaven to me. Let it not just be empty words. Your presence is heaven
0: to me. Go on, just declare that to him. Your presence is heaven to me, oh God. Your presence, oh God.
2: I'd like you to make a commitment to God, each person, a commitment to protect, cherish his presence, a commitment to do what you have to do to foster his presence. choir just sings that song, can you just talk to God
0: promise him to value his presence, to prioritize his presence to give time to create in that environment that fosters his presence
2: does not go with us, oh God. Yes, Lord. uh, Oh Lord, I'm desperate for you. We put aside all those
0: bright lights, all those. Put aside our fears. We put aside this afternoon our anxiety. We put aside our worry. We put aside our concerns for tomorrow. We put aside the good things that we should be doing first. And we just send a message to God that. Your presence is all that matters. It's the main cause.
2: It's really the reason for our being. God help us. Sweet Holy Spirit, help us. Help us.
0: Help us. We receive grace so that the pitfalls that the enemy has put in the way, the traps, the bait. To cause us to do or think something that will cause the presence to depart. That God will deliver us from them in the name of Jesus. That none of us will fall into any of those pits that have been dug for us. And that when we stay in the presence, the blessings of the presence will testify to the fact that we have been in that presence and we are there. Father, we thank you, and Lord, we bless you. We give you all the praise and glory. One more time. And
2: uh, I'm desperate for you. Let your heart cry out. Let your heart cry out to your Father. I will never rely on my own strength I'm lost without you I will never rely on my intellect I'm lost without you I won't rely on the help of another human being I'm
0: lost without you I won't rely on anything that is not of you, God. I'm lost
2: without you. You're the reason I leave, Heavenly Father.
0: I'm
1: lost without
0: you. And this afternoon I repent, O oh God, of relying on all those things. I'm lost without
2: you. Relying on the arm of the flesh. With you.
0: my heart cries out to you oh God I was designed for that it's in you that I live, I move and I have my being, Heavenly Father I can only overcome because I am living out of the overflow, oh God The supernatural becomes the norm because I am in your presence, O oh God. I'm lost you. I conquer and I subdue because I am in your presence, O oh God. I'm
2: lost you. Father, help me. Help me, oh God. We bless you. I'm lost.
0: Yes, Father. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Thank you, Father. And so, Father, help us not just to go in and out of your presence, but help us to tabernacle, to abide, to reside in your presence. Let it become our norm, Heavenly Father. We thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Loving Jesus, we bless you. In Jesus' name.
2: And together we say, Amen. Amen. Go on, just just worship him. Worship him. Reverence him. Worship him. Go on. Go on, worship 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 him. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him worship Him, worship Him. We give you all the praise, we give you all the praise, we give you all the praise. You're the agenda, sweet Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Go on, someone say, I love you, Lord. Go on, don't say it like it's religious and empty. Go on, go on.
0: Go on, the way you would express, you, if you're telling someone you love, you, can, you would do it even better. So for God, can you do it better? Go on, just declare your love to Him. Declare
2: your love to Him. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, we love you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.